Hello, and welcome to the Reorient Podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander. And I'm Madhavi Peters, also known as the Tropicalist. Okay, everyone, today's the 6th of August, 2020, and uh, I have the distinct pleasure and honor to be here with my friend and a very interesting and successful man here in Hong Kong, Ronnie Chan, to discuss various issues about uh, philosophy and culture in China and U.S.-China, and we'll see where the conversation takes us. So um, thank you very much, Ronnie, for agreeing to join in my podcast, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind just starting by giving a very brief introduction to those poor souls out there who don't know you and know some of your background. Um, I won't do it justice, but maybe if you could just very briefly talk about your background and then we'll go into the, the meat of the issues. Well, Jesse, they are not poor souls. Uh, if they don't know me, they are really uh, very, very fortunate. Um, my background, Hong Kong boy, grew up here, went to the United States for university worked there for a couple of years and moved back here because my father fell ill, so I have no choice but to come back to uh, work for the family business. And that has been now been 30-some years, so I'm stuck here. Great. Well, thanks, Ronnie. Um, and I'm glad you're stuck here. It's, a, um, it's certainly a good thing for those of us uh, here to have the privilege of your, um, your insights and all that you've done for Hong Kong, including the Asia Society and your various charitable works and uh, your investments, but we won't get into those. We're going to talk about more important things. So you're someone, I believe, who considers yourself a global citizen, your uh, Chinese heritage, but you spend a lot of time in America and traveling the world, and you have a lot of friends and partnerships uh, with various people around the world. So I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on culture and the role that culture has played in your life and your philosophy, whether it's in business or personal relations? Well, about 25, 30 years ago, I gave a speech and later turned to an article called Cultural Capability. I believe that culture, while every culture is interesting and it has its goods and bads and is in general very meaningful, yet the world situation today is no doubt um, segregated because of different culture. And the fact that very few people are able to accept other culture as much as they accept their own, the world today is in considerable difficulties. If they are more what I call bicultural people, or tricultural people, but let's just settle for a bicultural person. I think the more the world has such people, the better off it will be. And in today's day and age, the most important in very general terms is that you have the East and the West. And I wish that there are more people who are genuinely bicultural who understands both sides, not just in knowledge, but also in the in culture, which is in our blood. 
I think that is also very, very important. So speaking of culture, what would you say is the thing that Chinese people, again, we're generalizing here, but to the extent that generalizations are helpful, what do Chinese people get wrong about Western culture? And what would you say Western people get wrong about Chinese culture? Well, first of all, there is some very fundamental differences. Western civilization is basically founded in Judeo-Christianity, which are monotheistic religions. And so there is a God and a devil. There is heaven and hell. There is uh, salvation and perdition. Everything is binary. And that affects very much the Western civilization. If you are good, you're all good. If you're bad, you're all bad. But most of the things in life are actually not like that. Most of the things in life are really gray. There are very, very few things that are absolutely black or absolutely white. They are, no question about it. Some people are just evil and some people are just good. But most of us are gray. What about the Eastern civilization? The Eastern civilization, uh, take the Chinese, for example. They don't believe in God. Well, they don't even talk about God. To them, God is just heaven. And what is heaven? Heaven is whatever you define it to be. Uh, it helps you um, realize that there is not even a higher being, but there's something higher, such that hopefully you will not do think terrible things too badly, just like the monotheistic religion also tend to keep people's conscience a little bit at bay. So the Asians look at everything in terms of yin and yang. And how much yin is yin and how much yang is yang? And everything is a combination of the two. And only when you have both that you have a complete whole. And depending on situations, um, the same situation over time may also differ. And I think it's a better reflection of realities on the ground. But that said, there may come a time when you need to step on your foot and say, enough is enough. So that's where black and white comes in very useful. But the problem is those on the one side do not understand the other side and do not respect the other side. Uh, And it's mutual. And when that is the case, the world is a problematic place. So, I mean, I think one way that scholars look at Western cultures through the Judeo-Christian model and the philosophy that the individual is is sacred in a way, that the individual rights come from God and in a way sit above government and that sort of individual dignity, which, as you pointed out, when you take it to an extreme means that you could be endangering your fellow citizens or uh, acting irresponsibly. When you look at the Eastern culture, uh, whether it's China or beyond, and that that sense of community or communal responsibility, would you say that that's best defined by Confucianism and that a lot of that um, sort of that mindset and mentality and that approach towards policies is based on Confucianism? Or do you see other major philosophical or religious or just historical reasons to explain why various Asians uh, have their own cultural uh, beliefs? 
Well, Confucianism is not everything in Asia, but nonetheless, it is a big part of it. No question about it. Even within China, I mean, Taoism is uh, everybody is, is as much important. Just that historically, Confucianism was adopted by uh, the power that be. And a lot of people in the West can be very suspicious and say, "Hey, Confucianism, you're just trying to use it to control the people." Well, there may be some of that, but on the other hand, if if somebody were to say that and stop there, then the person is really ignorant, and in fact, he's very biased because he fails to see that there is a lot more to it. For example, I was thinking about you know what the Chinese say about husband and wife. The Chinese say that husband and wife uh, should be treated as uh, should treat each other as a guest. Doesn't mean that they don't have you know relationship, physical and love and so forth, but it means that you have to treat each other well. There's no doubt that you know the Chinese civilization is a f- is a very uh, hierarchical one. Uh, it's a male dominated one. But if you treat your wife as a guest, then you have to treat her very, very well. I suppose in the West, historically, it is also the same thing is also there because in the Bible it says that uh, hus- uh, wives uh, you have to obey your husband, but it also says a husband has to love the wife, and so it's really a mutual relationship. So I suppose at the end. There are similarities, but the way as each applies it, it can go to extremes, uh, and so let's not erase each other's um, civilization uh, background. Okay, so when I look at a lot of the world that's around us, let's say the the structure of governments here in Hong in Asia, the structure of companies, the clothes we're wearing. The language we're speaking, the technology we're using—it's vast majorities coming from the West. A lot of it American, and you cannot use systems and technology without somehow adopting some of those values and the mindset that created them. So, my question to you is: Do you think that, to some degree, there's an incompatibility between? What we what we think of as modern, whether it's modern government, modern business, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and Eastern, that modern in a, almost necessarily is Western. There's nowhere around it, and we just have to accept it. And you can have, you know, in a sense, the way that Japan does, where they uh, have maintained many of their traditions and cultural identity. But they also accept the premise that modern, in a sense, modernization is Westernization. So to the extent that you want to be modern, you you be Western. In other areas, we don't need to be modern. Maybe in our relationships, we have a traditional marriage. We don't have to have a modern marriage. But a modern marriage, as we think of today, is a Western-style marriage. It's not an Eastern-style marriage. What what are your thoughts about that? Well, there's no denying that modern history, meaning in the last two three hundred years. China was on the wane, and Western civilization was on the rise. Since the Renaissance, the West began to rise, and the Chinese, since the late 18th century, early 19th century, began to wane in a very quick way. And so 
today, there's no question that the world is dominated by the West in many ways, including the technology, science, as you mentioned. But as some friends of mine who are who knows history well, they would say that don't forget, Henry Kissinger being one, don't forget that for the last two, three thousand years, for much of that time, China accounted for roughly 30% of the world's economy. And China was at the height of human civilization for much of those 2,000 years. So it is not self-evident that the Chinese are necessarily no good in science and technology and all the modernity that you refer to. Just that historically, China had a bumpy row in the last 200 years. But if you were to take the last 2,000 years, the opposite is true. Much of China was thriving while, as Dr. Kissinger says, uh, the West, the Europeans were still living in caves. And so to assume that the West will always be on top uh, is perhaps something that short-sighted people will think. I happen to believe that as long as in, in my day and age, I'm a few years older than you, Jesse, um, that I don't see the West waning per se, but I do see that China can rise. And there are many factors in the Chinese civilization that will ensure the Chinese to rise. The hardworkingness, uh, emphasis on education, willing to sacrifice in order to better their children. Unlike in the West today, people are perhaps more selfish. Myself, uh, what happened to my son, that's his business. He has to live his life. Uh, the, the Asians are far more, they have a more of a historic perspective, perhaps. And so the Chinese are much more willing to sacrifice for their children. And so there are many things in the Eastern civilization that can cause them to perhaps revert to the old days where China, for much of the 2,000 years, as I said, was at the height of human civilization. So let us, let us not forget that the world is dynamic and changes all the time. And so for China to rise again, why not? Um, it is dangerous for the West to think that you must have our value before you can be successful like we are. Such people don't read history. Now, obviously, you say history is, you know, you, Ronnie, you talk about 2,000 years of history. Who cares? Well, that's what differentiates between the men and the boys. The, the boys don't read history and don't care for history. And there is something to, good about it as well. America has no baggage, no historic baggage, and that's why America can become very strong. But that said, let us not be so foolish to say that 
my history is the best, and you are no good. And unspokenly, many of my American friends really think that way. That China is going to be backwards. Several of my friends uh, who are very famous today in the West, they think that way. And they refuse to visit China. I know I have a friend who is a professor, a big-time professor, wrote a book on global issues. I have to be careful. I don't want to give the name away. He's never been to China. And so 15, 20 years ago, I told him, I said, no, 20-some years ago, I said, can I arrange a trip for you to visit China? Nope, I'm not interested. And yet, you know, you write about great nation relationship, and you've never been to China. There is another gentleman who is now in power in the United States, who is a third, by most account, third class economist. He wrote book a book about China. He's never been there, and he doesn't want to go. And what kind of a mindset is that? That is to neglect what truly wise people would say. And also, it's hubris, total hubris. And these people. Will be surprised in a very can be surprised in a very nasty way, and so I think that you know the West uh, should not think that we are always on top, just because in the last two hundred years they were on top. Look at the Chinese. Two hundred years ago, they thought that for two thousand years China has been on top, and yet they were not. They have already fallen behind. They don't know it, and that's what brought on. In part, the sad, terrible, weak history of China of the last two hundred years. So let's make sure that America today is not dominated by such ignorant people, proud people who don't read history. They will suffer because of their own foolishness. So, you know, there's America. I think by. Most people's experts view it as kind of an exceptional country. You talk about American exceptionalism; it's it's had a exceptional role in the world in so many ways. I mean, we don't have to go through them all here, but even it, you, the way that you talk about academics or political leaders, you're you're almost entirely uh, when talking about Western ones, referring to American. And I'm curious your view, given you travel extensively around the world, you have strong relationships, not just in America, but, you know, in Europe and other parts. Do you view America as more or less representative of the West? Or is it the most Western of the West? Or do you think that we might be overlooking the continent of Europe, which has a similar population, similar GDP as the United States, and maybe is very Western, but in a slightly different way? So what's your view in terms of to the extent that you know we can't group all Asians in one group in the East, do you feel that the same thing applies for Westerners? American exceptionalism is something that dates back to what the mid nineteenth century or the early nineteenth century, such as after the Monroe Doctrine of eighteen twenty three. So by the mid nineteenth century, it took a lot of land from Mexico, for example. Exceptionalism gradually began. Uh, gradually grew. But to be fair, America is pretty exceptional. I do not agree with exceptionalism, 
But look at America, it is produced. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast and more high-quality analysis on Asia, please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.